As a child, I lived in an abusive situation. My dad was killed six months before I was born. I was born into a Christian family and had a father who was a pastor. Was an ornery child. Bitterness, anger. I wandered. I was adrift. I did things purposely to get in trouble to get attention. Uh, resentment, low self-esteem. I, I thought I was better than the rest of them because I was a Marine. And I made some really poor choices. I grew up with uh, being very negative saw things and did things that I shouldn't have done. And I'm a type that likes to control and have everything in order. At a young age, I was introduced to alcohol. And uh, my daughter says, you embarrassed me. And it all fell apart. And it actually made it worse. I sinned against the Lord. Through a tragedy in my life, the Lord began to transform me. One day, my daughter came and said, I embarrassed her, and that made me want to change. Took me through three miscarriages and a stillborn, a difficult adoption with a son that we're still working with at this point. He chiseled away at the bitterness and resentment and anger that I had in my life. The Lord transformed me as I began to study His Word. Took me through breast cancer and just recently through another health scare. He had people come around me that helped disciple me. Helped me to learn how to study the Bible, how to memorize. I began to grow slowly. But with each thing I learned, I looked up even more and walked even closer to Him. Since He has given me this new life, it's just been a total turnaround. I am not the guy that I was because of Jesus. I've given up the control of my life. I've turned it over to Him. Be eternally thankful to God for what He has done in my life. I'll always, from now on, praise the Lord. And I want people to know, I want the whole church to know that I, I knew this was gonna happen, that I love him like he loved me, and I wanna love others like he loved them. Those are powerful testimonies. You know, I told you a few weeks ago uh, that I had a chance to go away with some of our high school students, uh, juniors and seniors, about 25 of them. <clears throat> we go on this trip every year, and one of the things they get to do on the trip is they have the opportunity to submit questions. And uh, they can submit any questions they want, and we're going to take time on the trip and try to answer those. And the questions are, uh, some of them are theological. Uh, sometimes they submit questions uh, asking about God's guidance. Sometimes uh, there are questions about uh, sort of how to have a vibrant Christian life and those sorts of things. But a number of the questions are personal. Uh, they can ask anything they want and uh, we try to answer them. And it's interesting, I've done this for a few years, and it's interesting to sort of see how the questions change from year to year and then how they're the same. And one of the questions that's usually the same, although it'll be worded differently, and sometimes you have to kind of read between the lines, but one of the questions that's there almost every year is a question that goes something like this. Pastor, I know that you never struggled with any temptations in high school. <laughs> now I'm serious, this is a question. And you probably never doubted your faith. But do you have any advice for those of us who are? Now, just like you, I laugh when I read this question. Because, in part, uh, God's been kind enough to me to allow me to be a pastor 
in the town I grew up in. And I regularly run into people that I went to high school with or people that uh, I was at a former church with when I was growing up. And inevitably their response when they find out I'm a pastor is always the same. And it's never, oh, you're a pastor. Of course, we knew you were always going to be a pastor. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. That never happens. Usually their response is, you? <laughs> you're a, a what? A pastor? In a church? A, a real church? <laughs> just two weeks ago, my mom was uh, talking to somebody. I called her up. I was like, Mom, how are you doing? She said, I just ran into so-and-so, and she hadn't seen her in a long time. And so, of course, they talk about what their kids are doing. And so the woman says to my mom, uh, I hear that Nick's a pastor. Now, uh, Nick's my older brother, and uh, if you knew him, it wouldn't be surprising that she would think that. I mean, he was always the very well-behaved one. But my mom, of course, had to say, uh, well, no, it's actually Jim. <laughs> Jim's the pastor. To which this lady responded, Jim, really? <laughs> no way. Now, I'm not too hard on these high school students when they ask this question, assuming, because what they're doing is they're assuming that I'm, I was the same person in high school that I am today, and that's a natural assumption. And the reason I'm not hard on them for it at all is because when I watch this video, with Bob Johnston and, and Bob Morrill and, and Kathy Nibbling, who are part of our church, and I listen to them describe who they were a long time ago, I think, no way. That's, that can't be. I know you. I've interacted with you. I've seen you. I've been in lots of different situations with you. The person you're describing the person, the alcoholic, the person who was abused, the person who was, who, who was disobedient and rebellious and, and the brawler, the angry. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see that person. But the amazing thing is you listen to a testimony like that and you think, well, I doubt they're lying. And you know what it is? It's a, it's a testimony to God's amazing grace. God's transformative power that you can watch a video like that, you can see people who describe what they were like 30 or 40 years ago and you go, okay, I'll believe you, but man, I cannot see it. <laughs> you just don't look anything like that person today. You know, one of the great transformation stories in the Bible and really in all of history is the Apostle Peter. And as we're thinking about how God can transform somebody so they don't look anything like what they used to look like, it's a great introduction to our series on Peter. Last year, we were uh, really looking at having an undivided heart for God. We looked at First and Second Samuel and the Psalms, and we especially got to spend time with David, who was one of the characters in the Old Testament that we know the most about. Well, interestingly, this year, as Tom explained at the beginning of the service, God's chosen for us the person of Peter. And Peter is the person who we know the most about from the New Testament, other than Jesus. He's mentioned more times than anyone else. And what we have that God's chosen for us is a chance to spend this year looking at the person of Peter. Now, we're especially going to be focused on his writings. And during the year, the school year portion, First Peter will be our focus. But we're also going to look at some scenes from the life of Peter. And by way of kind of introducing what we're going to be doing and in introducing the series, we want the chance this morning to be introduced to this person who is Peter, one of the great transformation stories in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, 
Would you turn to the book of 1 Peter? If you need to use one of the church Bibles, we got new pew Bibles. Did everybody see those? Huh? They look just like the old ones. <laughs> yep. Consistent. Love the consistency. So, in those Bibles, it's page 980. That's 1 Peter, page 980. If you need to borrow one of the Bibles, love it. That's why we got them. Uh, they'll be in the rack in front of you or underneath your seat. If you have your own Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, page 980. And our goal for this morning, it's our goal for every morning, is that we hear not what Peter has to say, not what I have to say, but what God has to say. And so uh, we don't want to just assume that's going to happen. So we're going to begin with prayer. And uh, as I pray aloud, would you pray silently that God would speak to your heart and to my heart this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you are an amazing God. Lord, I love hearing uh, the testimonies from Kathy and Bob and Bob. God, you're awesome. You are just unbelievable what you can do. And God, I pray this morning as we open your word, Lord God, that uh, human personalities and words would fade from view and that your spirit would be powerfully present in our midst and that he would speak to us words of encouragement, words that come from you. Lord, these promises, these things that, 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 that you have for me to say this morning, if they come from me, no one's going to believe them. But God, if your spirit speaks to our spirit, God, we will trust you and we will believe you. And so God, I'm asking that you would do this so that people might know what a glorious and amazing and kind and generous and an awesome God you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to be in verse number one, and we're not even going to get all the way through verse number one. We're just looking at the first six words because this is the introduction to the person who is the author of this letter, and he introduces himself this way, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, from a number of words point of view, there's not a lot to go on there, just six words. But there is something that, in my opinion, is very fascinating and very intriguing in just these few words that he uses. It's actually in the very first word. And that is how he introduces himself. Peter. Now you think, uh, what's so intriguing about that? Well, the interesting thing <clears throat> is that's not his name. Or at least... That's not the name that his parents <clears throat> gave him. His parents named him Simon. <clears throat> that's his given name. But that's not the name he uses here. To write this letter, he uses the name Peter. Now you say, well, well if his parents named him Simon, where'd he get this name from? Well, John chapter 1, verse 42 records the very first time that this man met Jesus. And in John chapter 1, verse 42, it says, And he, this is Andrew, Peter's brother, <clears throat> brought him, Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. That's his name. He's Simon. That's always been his name. That's what his parents named him. That's what everybody calls him because that's his name. But the first time he meets Jesus, Jesus says, You are Simon, son of John. But you will be called Cephas, which when translated 
is Peter. Cephas is an Aramaic word. Petros or Peter is a Greek word and they both mean the exact same thing. It's the word for rock. Jesus says to Peter the very first time he meets him, hey look, I know that your parents named you Simon. I'm going to call you rock. (laughs) Now, you may think, well, Rock, that's kind of a strange name. But we have some modern examples of this. I mean, we've got a professional wrestler slash movie star whose given name is Dwayne Johnson, who goes by The Rock. Okay, so not that unusual. That's what Peter has here. Jesus says, I know that your parents called you Simon, but I'm going to call you The Rock. Now, why does he name him that? Why does he give him that name? Well, we're not told in John chapter 1. But a year later or so, after Jesus gives Peter this name, Jesus actually explains why he gave him that name. Now, this is a significant event in Simon or Peter's life. And so we want to look at it together this morning. So I know you're in 1 Peter. But would you turn to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16, page 797. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah or Simon son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my Father in heaven. And here's our key verse. I tell you that you are Peter, or you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus is not walking with his disciples, and he's taking a quick poll, a little straw poll here. Who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? What do they think about me? And the disciples answer, well, you know, they clearly get you're some sort of important person. I mean, there is a buzz out there and they get the sense that you must be important. You must be uniquely from God. And maybe you're Elijah, maybe you're John the Baptist, maybe you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You're somebody important. Jesus says, okay, that's interesting. But who do you think I am? And Peter gives this amazing reply. He says, you're the Messiah the son of the living God. So much more than what the word on the streets is. They think you're a great person. What Peter says is, is no, no, no. You are uniquely God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, that's why I gave you that name. He says, you are the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now he's not building Peter because he's talking to him. You are the rock on this rock, meaning the rock of what you just said, the rock of your confession. 
You see, the essence of Christianity, the foundation upon which everything is built, is the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the foundation of everything. We are here today in fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus says, because I am the Messiah, because I am the Son of the living God, I am going to build a new community, a church, that even hell itself will not be able to overcome. And we're here today in fulfillment of that prophecy on the foundation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Everything that we believe comes out of that truth. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus says to Peter, that's why I call you Peter. Because of the rock-solid confession you made, that's the foundation upon which I'm going to build this new community, this church. And you, rock, are going to be one of the foundation stones of this new community. Not the foundation. The foundation is Jesus and the confession that he's Lord. But Peter, who makes this rock-solid confession... Jesus says, that's why I called you the rock, is because you're going to be one of the foundational stones upon which the entire thing is going to be built. This is why Ephesians says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone, but there's some other stones that are on the primary level with him. He's the foundation. But above the first stones that are surrounding the cornerstone are the apostles. And first among them is Peter. That's why Jesus calls him the rock. Now I should point out that at this point, it is actually a prediction of who Peter will become, not a description of who he is. It's a prediction of who Peter will become, not a description of who he is. You see, Peter's confession is rock solid, but his character is not. How do I know that? Jump down to verse 21. Still the same story, still in Caesarea Philippi, just finished this amazing conversation. Peter makes this amazing rock-solid declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And the story continues. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He begins to tell them that he's going to have to suffer in order to bring us salvation. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a what? stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. When Jesus first meets Simon, 
He says, I know your parents called you Simon, but I'm going to call you Rock. Now, in Matthew 16, we find out he calls him Rock in part because he's planning on transforming Peter into a foundational stone upon which the church is going to be built. But we see at the same time he's telling him he's going to do this, that Peter is already a rock. He's just a rock of the wrong kind. You see what Jesus calls him? You are a stumbling block. <clears throat> the official Greek phrase for what's used here, although Jesus uses the shorter version, the official Greek phrase, you have to listen for it, is petros, scandalon, a rock of stumbling. Jesus says, you're a rock, all right. You're a hard-headed stumbling block. There's something about Peter's personality. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was pride. Whatever it is, Peter's natural human personality is that he's a stumbling block, potentially, to Jesus. Jesus is trying to explain, look, there's no salvation apart from suffering. And Peter takes him aside. Can you imagine? Now, we probably read this story before, and so we lost. Peter pulls him over to the side. I'm like, hey, Jesus, you're a fool. You don't know what you're talking about. Can you imagine the gall of doing this? It literally says he scolded Jesus like he's a little boy. Well, Peter's saying, look, his hard-headedness. He thinks he knows how to save himself. He thinks he knows how salvation is going to work. So he's pulled the Messiah, the son of the living God, off to the side to tell him he's wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why Jesus says, you're a rock, all right. You're just a rock of the wrong kind. You're a stumbling block. Now, this is not the only time that Peter's personality caused him to be a stumbling block. In Matthew 17, Jesus is going to take Peter and James and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is going to be transformed before them into the Son of the living God, and they're going to be able to see this. Well, in the middle of this thing happening... Peter's hard-headedness causes him to open his mouth and at least this time, unbeknowingly, he insults Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Moses present. So bad is this that God the Father cuts Peter off mid-sentence and basically says, be quiet. And the Father affirms that Peter has no idea what he's talking about. Peter will also show himself to be a potential stumbling block to Jesus. In just a little bit of time, Jesus will make another prediction. <clears throat> he will say, according to the scriptures, it has been foretold that all of you will fall away on account of me. Peter's hard-headedness has him say to Jesus, nope, you're wrong. I know you think that. I know the scriptures say that, but I'm not going to. Again, imagine saying this to Jesus. He says, no matter what they do, I will not deny you. And you feel the rockiness of his personality coming out here. But unfortunately, he crumbles under the pressure. And he does end up denying Jesus three times. He's a stumbling block or potential stumbling block to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, Peter, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Pray for me. Peter can't do it. 
Peter's a stumbling block again when the soldiers come to get Jesus. And Peter pulls out his sword and he tries to attack them. And Jesus has to turn and look at him and rebuke him for his hard-headedness and say, what are you doing? This is not how the kingdom comes. It does not come by force. It comes by obedience to my Father and being willing to submit to suffering. Even after the Holy Spirit comes, Peter is a stumbling block to Barnabas and to some other Jewish Christians because for a season, Peter lapses into legalism and he leads some other people astray and becomes a stumbling block for them. So in Matthew 16, when Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock, part of the foundation of the church that I'm going to build, it's a prediction about who he's going to become, not a description of who he is, because if Peter's a rock at this point, it's because he's a stumbling block. But the amazing thing is, by the time we get over to 1 Peter, Peter's not a stumbling block anymore. This is not who he is. He's been transformed. Before 1 Peter is written, which is years and years later, Years and years in which God has had the opportunity to chisel away at some of the stuff in Peter's life in which God has had the time to be able to work to make Peter into what he promised him he was going to be. Between then and now, Peter's been restored for denying Jesus. He's been commissioned by Jesus to be a pastor, given a unique and powerful commissioning. Peter is the one who, when the the book of Acts opens up. Peter is leading the other apostles, leading them to choose a replacement for Judas. Peter is the one who delivers the first sermon at Pentecost. He's the one who stands up and for the first time proclaims the gospel that Jesus has died and is raised from the dead. And Peter leads 3,000 people to faith. The beginning of the church, it's Peter. Peter is there, God working through Peter to do this amazing thing. He's there overseeing the birth of the church. Peter is the one who's imprisoned and persecuted for his faith. This time, though, he doesn't crumble. This time he is strong and firm and steadfast. And he stands strong for Jesus and he testifies and he says, look, you can do whatever you want to me, but I'm following God. This is the person who will be entrusted with sharing the gospel with the Gentiles for the very first time in history. The reason why most of us who are Gentiles are here is because God had Peter share the gospel to open the door for us to come in. And it's clear in that story that his hard-headedness has begun to be transformed into open-mindedness, that he's willing to obey and submit to God even when he doesn't understand what God is doing. Peter is the one who supports Paul and encourages him after he converts to Christianity. Peter is the one who says encouraging words about Paul in 2 Peter to help support his ministry. Peter is the one that Paul describes as a pillar upon which the entire church is built. The reason why I think when you get to 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter doesn't introduce himself as Simon or even as Simon Peter is because he wants to be remembered as the person that God has transformed. The name Peter is a reminder that he was once a stumbling block and has now become a solid rock. 
that Peter, who was the one who told Jesus suffering was not part of the equation, is now writing a letter to Christians who are younger and less mature than he is saying, look, I was absolutely wrong. It is part of the deal. And instead of being a stumbling block to Jesus, Peter is now a rock to those that he's writing to, to you and I, to say to us from his experience, look, I've walked with the Lord a long time. I thought you could make it through this life. I thought you could achieve salvation without ever suffering, without ever going through trials or difficulties. That's wrong. It's through the trials. It's through the suffering that God begins to transform us. See, I think it's interesting. I told you that Peter's not the man's given name. But there's one other interesting thing about this. Not only is it not his given name, it's no one's given name. What I mean by that is we're so used to the name Peter that most of us don't realize he's the first person in history to get this name. We don't have any record of any other person ever being called Peter. What God is doing is Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to give you a brand new name. Not just for you as a person, but for history. Nobody's ever had this name before. And God says, I promise I will transform you into the person who lives up to that name. That's why Peter says, you want to know who I am? I'm Peter. I was once a stumbling block. And God has transformed me utterly and completely into a solid rock. That's why you can hear a story about Peter being a stumbling block. I think, Peter, I can't imagine that. It's because God so completely transformed him. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, good for Peter. That's great. That's really great. I'm glad that we're going to be reading a letter from somebody who's transformed. That's good. But what does that have to do with me? Well, in this letter of 1 Peter... Peter's going to write these words in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, meaning as you make this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, meaning you and me, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is, look, what God promised me in renaming me Peter is what he's promised you, that God is going to transform you and I into living rocks, that we may not have our name actually changed to Peter, but essentially, God has said to you and to me, you are living rocks. And what he means by that is, is in our natural human personality, we are stumbling blocks to other people. But by God's grace, he is going to transform us into solid, rock-strong Christians. And that same building that Jesus is the cornerstone of, that Peter is the, the first stone next to him, that's the building we're going into. That's the building he's going to transform us to be part of. 
and the encouragement from Peter's life is that when God calls you and me solid rocks, it's a prediction of who we're going to become. It may not be a description of who we are yet, but it's a promise that God is going to take us there. You see, it's really easy in our human lives to look at our human personalities, our human tendencies, our human flaws, and let's say that you struggle with anger. It's really easy to think, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. I'm always going to give in to this. This is always going to be a problem. Maybe you look around your life and you see the destruction that anger has caused and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, why do I keep doing this? Why does this person keep showing up in my life? This angry person and you think, it's just who I am. It's my personality. I'm going to be stuck with this forever. That's not true. God has promised he is going to root that out of your life. Now listen, I'm not saying you're never going to be tempted again by angry thoughts. But what I'm saying is, God has promised that he is going to transform you from being a stumbling block into being a solid rock. Problem is sometimes we're so myopic and we think, well, it hasn't happened yet. It's been a year or it's been two years. It's been five years. But God has promised, I will transform you. He who's begun a good work in us will see it to completion. Maybe you had some sort of significant event when you were younger, some wounding event like, like abuse, like you heard about in the, in the video testimony. And you may think that it was like a sledgehammer coming, crushing your life, and all that's left is just dust. And you think, I'm damaged goods. I have no strength. There's nothing I have to offer. There's no good that I can do. That's a lie. If you are a believer in Jesus, God has promised, he has sworn, he will transform you into being a solid rock, someone with strength, someone who is firm in the faith, someone who is powerful, who's an integral part of the building that God is building. That's his promise to you. And it doesn't matter whether it's greed or lust or jealousy or pride or laziness or whatever it is. Whatever is in our life, God has promised. I'm going to root that out. I'm going to chisel away at it. He's not promised it's going to happen in a day. He's not promised it's going to happen the moment we become Christians. But he has promised. I will transform you from being a stumbling block to being a solid, rock-strong believer. That's why I love Bob Johnston's testimony and Bob Morrill's testimony and Kathy Nibling's testimony. These are testimonies of the fact that when they look back 30 years ago, they say, I don't even recognize that person anymore. That's God. That's what he promised he's going to do. That's what Peter's saying. I love the fact that in the Bible, we have this story of this man named Onesimus who we are told was once useless. And Paul writes to Philemon to tell him he has now been transformed into being useful. I love the fact that when I meet people who I knew in high school and they say, you were a pastor, are you kidding me? I'm glad for that. Not because I'm proud of that behavior, but because it's a testimony that I'm not that person anymore. God is at work in me. Yes, I understand that when we die and go to heaven, we'll be completely transformed. But this is a promise that's going to happen now in this life. 
I'm glad for the story of Peter that here is this man who was once a stumbling block who becomes this absolutely rock-solid Christian who's of great help to you and I still today. You say, that sounds good. What do I need to do? How do I participate? What, what, what's my role? What are the things that I should do today so I can start on that journey, so I can start rooting this stuff out of my life? I want to get rid of it. What am I supposed to do? Now listen, I understand that we have a role to play, that we participate, that there's things that we do. But this morning, can I leave you with this? The basic confession of Christianity is that Jesus is Lord and you are not. Which means the responsibility for transforming you and me is on his shoulders and not mine. Jesus is the one who named the man Peter and then made him live up to it. Jesus is the one who transformed Kathy and Bob and Bob. Jesus is the one who has done these things. Jesus is the one on whom the burden rests. Yes, I get that our job is to submit and to obey. But if you ask me today, what are the five steps that Peter went through to become a solid rock? I have no idea. If you ask me, what did they do in their lives that God, I don't know. But I do know this. God promised he would do it, and he did it. And if you leave here this morning, I have one prayer for you, that you would leave here believing that God is a transforming God and that whatever is in your life, no matter how deep-seated it feels, no matter how long you have struggled with it, the promise of the living God in his word is that he will root it out. And I want you to leave here and rest in that. And I want you to go out of here and think, okay, I got 10 things I got to do this year. I got three goals in order to be transformed. Yes, we participate. I get all of that. But God in his word has said, I will make you into a new creation. I am the potter. You are the clay. I will mold you and I will shape you. I will chip away. I will use your failures. I will use your sins. I will use your mistakes. I will use what other people do to you. And as Lord over the whole process, I will transform you from being a stumbling block into a rock solid Christian. It's God from beginning to end. That's why the last words of 1 Peter 1 Peter 5, before the uh, actual closing, Peter closes this way. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. By God's grace, those words are going to be our benediction for the year. That we are reminded that it's the God of all grace who himself will restore us and make us strong, firm, 
and steadfast. If you are a believer in Jesus, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. God has sworn he will transform you. He will root those things out of your life. He will make you into a person that you yourself won't even recognize. It's his promise. And he will be faithful to do it. Let's pray together. Lord, you are an amazing, amazing God. Lord, who can describe what you have done? Lord, we are, we are your handiwork. We are the testimonies of your grace. Lord, I look at Bob Johnston and I just thank God. It's hard for me to believe he was ever like that, but what an amazing God you are to have transformed him. I look at Bob Morrill and I think, God, what you have done is simply incredible. I look at Kathy Niblink and I thank you, God. Thank you for being a, 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 a beautiful creator. Uh, Lord God, thank you for changing us from stumbling blocks into solid rocks. And God, I pray for those who are here. I pray right now for those who, who are thinking that it can't happen for me. I've, I've had this too long. Lord, I'm praying for right now for those who are worried about their children who think I've got to lead my children through the right choices and if I don't do this and if I don't do that. Lord, would you tell them right now that you are the Lord of their children? That it's your job to transform them from stumbling blocks into solid rocks. God, may they trust in you. And God, I pray that we would trust in you. Lord, this is your church. You're the one doing the building. You are the architect. You are the, the builder. Lord God, you are the one who is creating this thing. And God, we give you the glory for it. Encourage our hearts today that we might rest and trust in you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.